You're listening to the Northwestern Campus Ministry Podcast from Northwestern College in Orange City, Iowa. Northwestern Campus Ministry exists to send students out as those rooted, built up, and established in Christ for God's glory and for the sake of the world. Thanks for listening and enjoy this recent message from our Christian Formation Program. Hey, where are my trivia fans at out there? We got some trivia people. All right, fill in the blank style. The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. It's an old school slogan, isn't it? We know this slogan, but we also not only know it, we resonate with it if we're honest. My good friend Kyle, actually, earlier this week, he was telling me a funny story. He's got one of these high-tech things called a, a tractor sprinkler. Are you familiar? You hook a hose to it, it not only propels water onto the lawn, but it actually moves the tractor slowly across your yard. So if you don't have in-ground sprinkler systems, you can get just about your whole yard covered. He goes to bed one night, forgets that he left it on, wakes up the next morning. The tractor is conveniently at the end of his fully extended hose right in the middle of his neighbor's yard. And so Kyle was able to enjoy the green grass that summer. It was just the grass truly was a little greener on the other side of the fence. It's interesting, though. I don't know if that phrase is really a true phrase. I wonder if the grass isn't greener on the other side of the fence. I wonder if it's greener wherever you water it. So new students, returning students, I got a challenge and an encouraging word for you. What if you'd let God grow where you're planted? And this is a journey of trust. The reality is, for us, it's so easy that if we root our identity and build our identity in what we can achieve on our own, what others think of us, keeping up with what others are doing, keeping up with what others possess or prestige in this world, the gifts of others that we might not have, the lives that others are living that we might not be living, the grass truly will always be greener on the other side of the fence, and this is a suffocating way to live. But if we learn to trust God, that God not only made each and every one of you, but he actually has chosen you and placed you right here, right now for this moment. He's given you your skin, he's given you your story, and he's calling you to water the soil and to invest deeply in the soil that he's planted you in. And he wants to root you in an identity so that you not only know who you are, but that more deeply you would actually know whose you are. It's my prayer that moment after moment this year, these months, this academic year as a whole, that time and again, you would believe it in your heart and say it with your lips. I want to be nowhere else with no one else at no other moment than right here, because God's got me here for a purpose. Would you grow where you're planting? But if we're going to do this, we got to look to scripture. It begins with this concept that Colossians 2 lifts up. This is actually our campus ministry theme verse, to be rooted, built up, and established. It's our theme verse as a campus ministry office, really for two reasons, because we, want, we don't want you just to be green grass. We want you to be deeply, firmly rooted oak trees in the faith, grateful, Christ-centered faith. But two reasons. One, it's biblical. Colossians 2 talks about it. Number two, it evokes tree imagery And trees are freaking awesome, aren't they? I love trees. I'm a tree nerd. My small yard around my house, it has 13 different types of trees, 19 trees in my yard in total, many of which I've planted in the last eight years. If you want to have a very nerdy and boring conversation sometime, come to my office. Ask me about the transplanted northern Minnesota white blooming catalpa trees I got in my Iowa backyard, okay? 
fantastic stuff. It'll put you to sleep. But I think I'm starting to rub off on my family a little bit. We're not only taking photos by trees. My wife, she loves the hammock. She hangs her hammock between two trees. Do I got some hammockers in the, in the house today? We got some hammockers, all right? I see you. My nine-year-old son, Will, he loves to turn a few of our trees into Guinness holes. So I got some Guinness players in the house. Anybody play Guinness? All right. Got some love. My eight-year-old daughter, she uh, is proud of all the trees in her backyard and the fact that she's climbed to the supposed top, that's a relative phrase, top of the four tallest trees in our yard. Do I have some tree climbers in the house today? Any of you that put your hand in the air, the HR office in Zwamer basement would like you to sign a liability form. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just messing. And then last but not least, there's my four-year-old son, Wes Harvey, okay? This guy, he loves and is proud of the fact that these trees in our yard that he self-proclaims to have had peed on just about half of them. Do we have some tree peers in the house? No, I'm just, no, no. Okay. And you freshman, you're like, didn't Mark just joke about his four-year-old peeing on something last week? Yeah, it's, it's a real problem. Please pray for us. So <laughs> I put this picture in my office. It hangs right behind my desk because every time I see this picture, it reminds me of the fact that the real strength of a tree isn't what I see with my eye. It's what's below the level of the surface. And there's something about that getting below the level of the surface to be built up and established as oak trees in the faith has everything to do with our roots. Are we rooted in the soil of Christ? I go on a run right outside of my house. It's not really running. It's more of a slow jog. Um, but I uh, run by this massive tree that is actually uprooted and fallen over, and it has unhealthy, shallow roots. You can see it, obviously, and it reminds me to ask myself this question, do I got deep roots? Do I have deep roots? And I'd ask you that. Do you have deep roots? Have you looked below the level of the surface of your life? What's in your thoughts that nobody really has access to? What's in your heart that motivates and drives you? What do you dwell on deeply when you're relaxed? What do you do when nobody's around? A prayer of mine for this space twice a week, Tuesdays at 11, Fridays at 10, chapel space that we would create a space that's a safe space, a shame-free space, that this space would be a truth-pursuing space. So it's got to be a courageous space, but that we would press pause twice a week together as a Raider family, and that that would create a rhythm of our lives, that we would pause once in a while from the hustle and bustle of all the crazy busyness and activity that's above the surface of our lives to get our eyes on what's below the level of the surface of our lives. And we got to get honest to do that. We got to get real, honest with ourselves, honest before God, and honest as we leave this gathering space, honest with one another. And in order to protect this kind of honesty, I want to call us that as we pause twice a week in this space, I want this not only to be an honest space, but an honest space built on these pillars of humility and honor, the three H's, honor, humility, and honor. But for us to have the courage to get honest, this is a scary task to get into the root system of our lives because we don't have x-ray vision and we don't have root system vision. We need a light to transmit our eyes to see the root system and it is a light that isn't in and of ourselves. 
Scripture says this, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live in the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' his son purifies us from all sin. Did you see that? We're not the light. We are completely dependent on him to allow us to see our root system. And what this is telling us is that our fellowship with God and our fellowship with one another is completely dependent on his light. Fellowship with God and one another. A definition of honesty is to walk in the light. Can I get honest with you this morning? Is that right? No, for real. Speak back to me. Can I get, a, can I get honest with you for real? All right, thank you. I, I really am a bit of a hot mess. This is where I'm at in my life. I am coming to grips more and more what it means to get older and what it means to age, what it means to walk with Jesus longer, what it means to carry more expectation of myself and others, responsibility in my home, my community, my church, and on a campus like this. And in all that, if I'm being honest with you, I have been deeply entangled, tripped up and straight up too prideful to get really real and to get really honest. If you were to ask me this last year about my moral compass before God and others, check. If you were to ask me about my servant heart for God and others, check. But if you were to really get below the level of the surface, if I was fully walking in the honesty of light before God and in fellowship with others, rain check. Last spring, if you would have said, hey, Mark, how you doing? I probably would have responded with something along these lines. I'm fine. Yet God's faithful and good. I'm doing way better than I deserve. Life's a gift. Anybody ever heard those kind of responses? Have you ever given those kind of responses? And I think these things would have been truthful. They wouldn't have been deceitful, but they would have been truthful in the sense of my aspirations of my heart. But they wouldn't have been an honest assessment of the current state of my heart. You see, God isn't just a God of destination. He's a God of journey. He's concerned with walking as a companion with us in his light, the here and now, growing where we're planted. And so this summer, this has been an intentional focus of mine, trying and striving to walk in the freedom of his illuminating light in my life. And he's been showing me some of my root system. And he's been gentle and gracious. As he's shown me the sin of my discontentment, the sin of my coveting spirit, the sin of my lack of gratitude, and maybe the biggest sin that God has been illuminating so gently and graciously in the root system of my heart is just how much my anger, anxiety, lust, and impatience is intertwined deeply in the root system of my own pride. And so I'm a hot mess, for real. And I just want to confess to God in your presence because God has been time and again putting Proverbs 3.34 right in my vision and in my face. And he's been doing so, so graciously because he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Y'all, if you show up in a proud place, you will not walk from this place changed. If I show up in this place and I'm leaning on my own prideful capacities to speak, you will not be changed. But if God shows up and if you are honest in a humble place, I think you're going to grow where you're planted and God's going to meet you. There's something about my pride that makes God's light feel like an intruder. But the truth that comes with clear vision and humility recognizes that the truth of God's light is that it's full of grace. 
You see, my pride, it wants to spin an image of competent leadership in front of you right now, but humility is calling me before God to just walk in the light of humble honesty. Where God's truth and my honesty collide, that is what it means to walk in the light. And, the God, and God's light, it flows upon the rivers of the humble heart. It's grounded in the trustworthiness of God's grace, and it thrives in the atmosphere of a non-judgmental attitude. Is this our flow? Is this our grounding? Is this the atmosphere here at Northwestern? How about you? Are you walking as a person in the light of God's grace? Coming to grips with how much my pride stiff arms God and how much my pride hurts the people I say I love the most. My wife, my own children, my beloved campus ministry staff, my beloved president cabinet members, beloved colleagues, and you all, my beloved raiders, students. I'm recognizing how much my pride has hurt those around me as I stiff arm God. I just wanna confess to you that truly, I, I really am sorry, but I praise God as I put teeth to this confession, I praise God for just how much he has allowed me to taste his grace and how much he pursues my heart. And some of this renewal in me this summer that the Lord has been gracious in, it started with a conference that I went to last spring where a pastor boldly said this, Christians are the most dishonest people I know in the name of kindness. Jesus is the most honest person I know in the name of love. This got me doing some serious root system soul searching in my own life. And if there's a passage to kind of summarize what I think God has been churning in me these last three or four months, it's the blind man at Bethsaida who encountered Jesus. Jesus touched him not only once so that he could sort of see from blindness, but he could only see people in a sort of blurry way like trees, it says. And then Jesus touched him again. And then his vision was fully restored. You see, what's unique about the biblical times, the time of Jesus, is in that context and culture, they looked at trees for their utility. They looked at trees for their usefulness in the one sense that they were either wood for building structures or they were trees for shade on a hot day. Or trees were not just for their utility, they were an obstacle. They were in the way of a path or a road. They were seen as objects for as an obstacle or usefulness. And I think we live in a culture, unfortunately, where our ambitions, our desires to achieve, our performance-driven society, it can leave us like that man at Bethsaida who got the touch of Jesus once, where we sometimes are half-blinded to see people either as obstacles for our own goals or people as their usefulness to serve our own means. And we do this in subtle ways. We listen or we want to be listened to more than we seek to listen. We want to, uh, uh, others to attune themselves to our hidden agendas or our goals rather than to connect with another's express verbal need. We, rather than listening to others, we hear others. We plan more than we sacrifice. We seek others' acknowledgement more than we pursue another with an encouraging word. We're fine with connecting just transitional or, or uh, trite informational exchanges rather than meaningful heart-to-heart kind of connection. And the list goes on and on. It's easy to connect and see ourselves and one another's as just mere objectified trees, either as an obstacle or useful in the name of our own standing out. 
my ambitions, my achievements, my aspirations, when they are connected to a root system that I'm not attuned with, my own pride that can lift, quickly leave me half-blinded to see myself and others for utility rather than dignity. And though I've been walking with Jesus in a surrendered relationship with him being the Lord and Savior of my life for over 20 years now as my delight and joy and author of my life, this summer I was like the man at Bethsaida in desperate need for God to touch me in a fresh and new way. And the only way I can describe his grip upon me this summer and what he's up to the sort of second laying on of hands like that man of Bethsaida, the only way I can describe it is one of genuineness, a genuine love, genuine. You, you know, I think it's one thing to acknowledge love. I think it's another to study it and to understand it. I think it's quite another to experience the touch of a grip that's so full of such a genuine love and to experience its abundance so much that you can't help but give it away and begin to see through it. Have you ever known somebody that you would use that adjective? They were genuine. Aren't they refreshing to be around? What you see is what you get. There's such sincerity to their interactions with you. There's such a fullness of attentiveness. They're genuine. There's something about genuine love that fights to pursue more than just togetherness but for deep connection, deep connection built on an incredible care, incredible care that's so utterly free of any condition, unconditional, sincere, caring, genuine love. Matter of fact, one thing that struck me this summer, I was interacting with a pastor over 40 years. He was talking about one of these famous verses that we see in this book of 1 John 4.18. Perfect love casts out all fear. And his claim is that if you get to the original Greek, which is what this was originally written in, the meaning behind the word perfect, it would be better translated in English to use the word genuine. Genuine love casts out all fear. Where there's no fear, there's freedom to be honest. And nobody walked in such genuineness quite like Jesus. Do you think of God's love this way as genuine? Have you experienced the genuine touch of his grip, this love? You know, it's one thing to long to experience his grip. But if you're like me, I've longed, God, would you speak? Would, would you audibly speak to me? Is anybody like me where you've boldly asked, God, would you audibly speak to me? Anybody? I've prayed it many times. What's fascinating to me is that what the Bible and the Gospels, what they give us about the life of Jesus, Jesus, the Son of God, with his heavenly Father, the two instances that we have biblical recording of an audible heavenly voice speaking over Jesus, the Son, is at his baptism and transfiguration. And what's fascinating to me is that these two moments, these two audible voices of the heavenly father over Jesus, they're almost exactly identical. You see, the audible voice of heaven over Jesus, it doesn't affirm what he's done, what he's doing, what he will do. This voice doesn't affirm his spreading fame and popularity and favor before the masses. This voice doesn't affirm his possessions or prestige or powerful miracles. This voice doesn't lift up anything intertwined with that grass is greener on the other side of the fence sort of stuff that we're often entangled in. Heavenly voice 
But the father speaks over Jesus, affirming who he is, whose he is. You're my beloved. I love you and I'm proud of you. We get a taste of that genuine love, don't we? My question for you all is, do you want to grow where you're planted? Right here, right now on this campus, this year, God not only has made you, he's appointed you, you are not here by mistake. Are you exhausted by that feeling that the grass truly is greener somewhere else? The grass is only greener where you water it. Are you willing and ready to lay down your pride? To be honest for God, one another, and yourself? Humble and honoring? Are you ready to be deeply rooted so that God would establish and build you up in life? his faithfulness, his fullness, and his flourishing purposes that he has destined for you. It's my prayer that you would allow God to water the soil beneath you so deep upon this profound truth. The Christian identity is not in you. The core and paramount Identity as a Christian is not in me. The Christian identity is in the reality that we belong to another. We are invited to be in Christ by his abundant grace, so undeserved and so free, and our responsive, humble heart of faith. Are you ready to be a deeply rooted oak tree with a grateful, Christ-centered faith. God wants to plant you, and he wants to water and grow you. Let me close with this. Michael Lawrence, I think he says it well, this quote. He says, we can love, we can say God loves you all day long and it won't make a dent because people know deep down that God's love, it's not deserved. But when I'm told that God loves Christ and that I've been adopted in Christ by faith, I now have something to put my confidence in, something that isn't contradicted my, my knowledge of self. In Christ, you are loved, not because you're lovely or obedient, but because Christ is lovely and obedient, and you are in Christ, and you've been adopted. As daughters and sons of God, we've been given something far more powerful than an antidote to the failings of our time, we've been given an identity that calls us beyond ourselves and our emotional needs to the story of the glory of God. Join me in prayer. God, you are light. And Northwestern's motto, Deus es Lux, God is light. Lord, this year I pray that the light of your love, this incredibly genuine love, would shine upon us. Jesus, you are the light of the world. Christ, would you help us walk in your light, rooted, built up, and established in you. Help us to be honest, to have the courage to be honoring and humble for your glory and for the good of one another and all God's people said, amen.